So uh, that clip of uh, Mary and Joseph as they enter Bethlehem is from the movie The Chosen, O Holy Night. It will be shown at the Landmark uh, Theater Monday to Thursday this week at 4 and 7. And now this is Fort McMurray, so if you've been following any of the advertising and social media, it has a different set of dates. But we have chosen uh, to do it Monday, December 11th to Thursday, December 14th. You might want to go see it as part of your Christmas uh, celebration. Uh, if you live with family, get some family out. It's going to be a mix of two episodes of The Chosen put together with some uh, Christian artists who will be singing some great Christmas music. I also chose that clip to feature Joseph, who I want to look at today. We're in our third and final message in our uh, Christmas series, Crucial Questions, as we look at Joseph and ask the crucial question, will I obey? And even more specifically, will I obey when it doesn't make sense? The word obey is an incredibly unpopular word. It's a word that's been abused, and for us today, it just feels oppressive. Now, Lucas thought that I needed some help um, for my message, so he gave me a story to tell from his marriage. Really, the problem is, is he, he just doesn't get enough time to tell enough stories about Adrian. And uh, so I wanted to thank Lucas for this. And uh, anyways, he and Adrian, as many of you know, were married in Arkansas at a small Baptist church. And the officiant was uh, Pastor Don Justice. That's who Justice Welsh is uh, named after. Anyways, he asked Adrian if she wanted the word obey to be in their wedding vows. Now, as a good Baptist Christian girl, how do you think Adrian responded? Any guesses? She said no. Not a chance. No way. Well, I'm not exactly sure how she said it, but as her boss, I can attest that she is one feisty, independent woman, and that is a strength of hers for sure. She has this drive to do what she knows God has called her to do. This is awesome. She is a great leader. But yeah, that word obey, we, we all chafe at that word. Now, when Jane and I got married, we did include the word obey in our marriage vows. Back then, churches were real big on including that word obey in vows, and um, I had bought into the uh, uh, patriarchal theology that's behind that. But what happened is, my aunt, who is not, well, just wasn't in a great relationship with my mother at, at the time, um, she came to the wedding a little bit intoxicated as a way to deal with the stress of this family event. And when Jane said the word obey in her vows, my aunt let out one huge loud gasp that absolutely everyone in this packed out church could hear. I mean, it was incredible. It just reverberated and bounced off of all of the walls. And sadly, after that gasp, my mother never talked to her sister again. I mean, families can get messy. But it's that word obey that's such a trigger word. And while Jane uh, said that word in her vows, she later bought and frequently wore this shirt that had a really cute cow on it, really cute. But it said, don't fence me in. And this was intended to let me clearly know that there were limits to these vows that she made. <laughs> Chafing against the word obey in wedding vows is, is not a bad thing. Today, you'll rarely hear obey in wedding vows. We've come to understand that in Ephesians, where Paul writes that wives should submit to their husbands, it's in the context of mutual submission, where Paul first says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. 
And he explains his mutual submission in marriage this way. Each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. But then the apostle Peter turns this mutual love and respect thing around. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Love and respect go both ways. Now, the apostles Peter and Paul are building a bridge from the highly patriarchal society they were living in and, and gently introducing the biblical values of mutuality, of mutual submission. Older Bibles had the word obey in them, but that word is not the proper translation. It just is a reflection of male bias back in the day. But that's not where I want to go today. What I want to do is just acknowledge that it's not just women who correctly and biblically, I might add, chafe at a man who demands obedience. We all chafe at obedience. You do, I do, let's admit it, we all do it. Hey, right from the first man and the woman, Adam and Eve, we chafed at obedience to God and just made a mess of this world. You read the Old Testament, and so much of it is about the people of Israel who were chosen by God to bring the light of God to the world, who continually chafed at obedience and got themselves into a lot of trouble and ultimately failed at the mission that God gave them. And that mission was then later given to the church. And now we live in the New Testament era where we come to Jesus just as we are, unfaithful and disobedient, and Jesus takes us just as we are, forgives us when we repent, and begins to empower us to live well and live right. He begins to transform us and empower us so that we can live transformed lives, even obedient lives, to the principles and commands of God's Word. Hey, today in church, most Christians get what it means um, to come just as I am to Jesus. Come as I am, confess my sin, receive his forgiveness. We know if we disobey, and, and we all will, that Jesus will forgive us. So we find it kind of easy to ignore those calls to obedience we find in the Bible because forgiveness comes so easily. Here's your reality and my reality. We call ourselves followers of Jesus, but so often we fail to do what Jesus asks us to do. We fail to obey. And the reality is, how can you truly follow Jesus if you pick and choose what parts of Jesus' teaching you want to follow? If you do that, I mean, are we really followers of Jesus? And because we live in this era of grace, God is not standing there with a big stick to punish us when we disobey. He just lets us get into trouble all on our own. And we all do it, me included. And because we don't see any immediate threat from disobedience, no fear that God's going to zap us when we do something wrong, we rob ourselves of the blessing that God has for our lives when we choose to live and love obediently just as Jesus did. Admit it. There's lots of times when you know what the right thing is to do, but you don't do it. Why? Well, the idea that God might bless your obedience seems a little bit remote and we don't immediately see the negative consequences. I mean, negative consequences are there, we just don't see them right away. Friends, we must come to understand that obedience to God is not bondage. It's not oppressive. It's the opposite. Obedience is the way to freedom. Obedience is the way to experiencing life to the full. And as we'll see by looking at Joseph today, maybe we'll call him the stepfather of Jesus, right? As we, we look at the obedience of Joseph in the Christmas story, we'll see that obedience leads to an extraordinary life full of incredible impact. 
The thing about Joseph is Joseph seems to get the least attention in the Christmas story. We talk about Mary and Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men all the time, but not so much Joseph. But for me, it is the story of Joseph that often speaks the most powerfully. Because when you look at the story, it's in Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. When you look at what's going on, Joseph never says a word. He, he doesn't have any lines in the story. It, it's almost like he just has this itsy bitsy part. He's more of a background character and he, he just doesn't ever say anything. But on the other hand, Joseph's life is a message to us. We watch Joseph, we don't hear Joseph. In a very real sense, Joseph's actions speak louder than words. Joseph, as you think about him, he's just an ordinary guy, a carpenter, a tradesman. I mean, yeah, I think he'd fit in quite well here in Fort McMurray. He's, he's easy to identify with. And we're going to see how Joseph's obedience to God put him in the position so that he could help others and play a critical role in the history of the world. Ordinary Joseph became extraordinary because of his obedience. By following God and what God called him to do, his life took on meaning and purpose. I mean, he made a huge difference. Come on. We all want our lives to uh, have meaning and purpose. We don't want to just be some cog in the oil sands machine here. Well, Joseph shows us the way. But it's a tough way because the way of Joseph involves that word obey. Let's read a bit about what the Apostle Matthew wrote. He says, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why would he divorce her if they were only engaged? Well, it's because in that culture, when you were engaged or betrothed to someone, it was a legally binding relationship. The only way out was through death or divorce. So he's engaged to Mary, and he's made a decision. He's going to quietly divorce her. Yeah, so when we first meet Joseph, he's a broken, confused man. His fiancée is pregnant, and, and it's not his kid. So you have to think about the heartache and that he's going through. You have to think about the shame, the scandal, the, the disgust, the betrayal. I mean, how would you feel if you got that kind of news? You'd feel angry, probably. You'd certainly feel like Joseph. You'd feel betrayed and deeply, deeply saddened. Joseph has heard Mary's story. He's considered the evidence, and he's decided that it's just too hard to believe. And who can blame him? I mean, I would have done the same thing. Who could believe a story like Mary's? Mary's story is like ridiculous. It's impossible that this could have happened to her. How could it, how could he possibly believe her? And you know, as he's trying to decide what to do, he very likely might have considered having her killed because he could have in this highly patriarchal society. It was legal in those days, an adulterous woman could be stoned to death and no, it did not go around the other way. Or, he might have considered divorcing her publicly, making a spectacle of her, dragging her through the mud in front of everybody so everybody knows it's not his fault and just shaming her in front of the whole world. I mean, think about it. Joseph thought that he had his life all figured out and 
Now all he has is questions. Questions like, who's the other guy? Who's the father of this child? Like, who did this to me? Who's the guy that just ruined my life? Hey, I thought I knew Mary. I, I thought she was someone uh, I could trust. Now I don't know what to believe. I, I don't know who to trust because Mary is either lying or she's crazy because nobody else could make up a story like that. Who in their right mind would, would make up a, a story like, like, like Mary's story? And, and, uh, but she's so convinced that her story is true. So maybe that's what's really going on here. Maybe she's just lost her mind. And if she really is that unstable, if, if Mary really is this delusional, then for me to put her through public shame and spectacle of public divorce, well, that would ruin her. It would destroy her. And, oh, I love her. I love Mary. I just can't go on like this. I, no, I can't do it. So maybe the only thing that I can do here is just put an end to all of this and, and do it quietly and just somehow move on with my life. And Matthew tells us in that passage... Because Joseph was a righteous man, he decided to, to uh, not expose her to public disgrace, but to divorce her quietly. Because he was a righteous man, he made this decision. By righteous, we just mean he's a good man. He's a sensitive man. And what we learn here is that a good man or a good woman, a righteous man or a righteous woman, doesn't seek revenge. A righteous person doesn't seek judgment. A good person is merciful. A righteous person is gentle. Good people don't drag other people's failures out in front of the whole world to, and put them to shame. A righteous person is not willing to disgrace another person publicly. Joseph's dreams for his future, whatever those dreams uh, might have been, are over. He has to start his life all over again. The girl at Everybody knew was going to be his wife and the life that he knew he was going to live, it's ended. It's like all over. So he goes to bed, restless in his mind, exhausted in his body. He prays for peaceful dreams because everything else in life right now is an absolute nightmare. And yeah, let's ask. What do you think were Joseph dreams for his life? He's just an ordinary guy with a, tri with a trade like so many of us, a carpenter. He's scraping out a living in a little town that has a reputation for nothing, really. In fact, there was a saying in those days, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Over the years, some of us have heard the same thing about Fort McMurray. Can anything good come out of Fort McMurray? We, we know that's not true, but, but we've heard it. When, when Jane and I first decided to move to Fort McMurray almost 12 years ago, some of our family pushed back. Dad, you wouldn't do that to mom, would you? Can anything good come out of Fort McMurray? One of my kids didn't think so. Anyways, I suspect that Joseph's dreams for his future with Mary are, are probably not huge, probably not spectacular. He's probably just thinking, I'm going to marry a sweet girl and have some ordinary kids and have this little business and make a living, grow old, and when I die, I'm going to go back with my fathers. That's not too much to ask, I don't think. But as we're about to see, God was about to interrupt the ordinary plans of an ordinary man for extraordinary purposes. Before we move on in the story, I, I want to ask you, what are your dreams for your future? How would you describe yourself? Do you think of yourself as an ordinary person or an extraordinary person or an ordinary person maybe with just ordinary dreams? 
What, what does your future look like? Can you even see a future? You might have huge dreams or you might be afraid of what tomorrow is going to bring. Whatever those dreams might be, what will you do if God decides to interrupt them? What will you do if God shows you that he's got a plan that you weren't planning on? What will you do if God asks you to do something you're not comfortable with? With those questions in mind, uh, I think there are a couple of key lessons from the life of Joseph that would be helpful for us as we follow Jesus, as we, as we wrestle and then choose to do what Jesus calls us to do. Lesson number one, we obey in spite of the impossibility. We obey even when it doesn't make sense. Joseph obeyed in spite of the impossibility. Listen to the words of the Apostle Luke as Mary is struck by the impossibility of her situation. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she... Uh, who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. In my high school and university years, I went to the People's Church in Toronto. At that time, it was the largest church in the country and it's still a large church. And during my years there, every single Sunday for like almost the 10 years that I was there, the choir closed the service with a song that went, nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Heard it every Sunday at the end of the service for almost 10 years. Maybe you have a phrase like that for nothing is impossible with God on your fridge or somewhere. Friends, do we really believe it? For nothing is impossible with God. I was fascinated, however, when in the 2011 edition of the New International Version of the Bible, they, they changed the verse, for nothing is impossible with God, to read, for no word from God will ever fail. Big difference. For no word of God will ever fail. Why did they do that? Well, because the Greek word for nothing that they translated um, used here is actually the word rhema. And most often the Greek word rhema is used to speak of the spoken word of God. When we say God speaks to us, it's the word rhema. Just a quick New Testament Greek lesson for you. So what the angel is saying is no word of God is impossible. If God says it, he can do it. Let me put it another way. I, I've grabbed this phrase from uh, a pastor by the name of Buddy Owens. He says, no word of God shall lack the power of God for its fulfillment. Let me say that again. No word of God shall lack the power of God for its fulfillment. If God says it, his power can fulfill it no matter how impossible it might seem. If God can create life from the dust of the ground simply by the word of his mouth and the power of his spirit, then God can certainly create life in the womb of a virgin simply by the word of his mouth and the power of his spirit. Let me ask you a question. What has God said to you that seems to be impossible? What promise has he given you that seems to be impossible? If God has said it, his word will not lack power to fulfill it. Friends, what you need to understand is that my impossibility is God's opportunity. 
my impossibility. Really, it's God's opportunity, right? If God says something, don't tell him it's impossible because no word of God will lack the power of God to fulfill it. So like Joseph, you and me, we need to obey God despite the impossibility. When God spoke, Joseph obeyed. Matthew tells us when Joseph woke up, God spoke to Joseph through a dream. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. That's obedience, like instant obedience. Hey, you up to the challenge? Obeying God even when it looks impossible? Obeying God even when it just doesn't make sense? That's the adventure of following Jesus. It's awesome. It's powerful. Sometimes it's scary, yeah? Because no word of God will lack the power of God to fulfill it. And, and then I see maybe one more thing about obedience, a, a second lesson. You know, you don't have to be the main character in the story for obedience to have a huge impact. Friends, Joseph's obedience changed the world. Even though he's really only a supporting actor in someone else's story, He's a supporting actor in the story of Mary and in the story of Jesus. But if he didn't obediently play his supporting role, I mean, the birth of Jesus would have looked a whole lot different. Ordinary people just doing what God tells them to do become part of a greater story, the greater story of God at work in our world. Never think that what you do, that what God is asking you to do is insignificant. God is calling you to be a part of his greater story. That's his invitation to you. Your obedience can change lives all around you, even change lives for generations to come. This is how God works in our world, through one step of obedience at a time. And so we read in Luke, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. All that was a part of Joseph's obedience. He did what God asked him to do, even in a support role to a bigger story, and even when it just didn't make sense. To make this really practical, let me ask you this. How might God want to use you to accomplish his will in somebody else's life? What support role might you play who do you know that's going through an experience, a, a time in their life, a test, a trial, a hardship, and they just need your support to get them through? Is God calling you, speaking to you to do something? Is God calling you to take a step of obedience, to care and support someone else? It, it might even just be to invite them to sit with you at Christmas Eve, you know, use that card. Maybe obedience for you is responding to God who's calling you to invite uh, someone to our Christmas Eve services. I mean, it can be life-changing. Hey, God placed you in their life for a reason. But you might be thinking, oh, I really don't want to be bothered right now. This is not a good time. I got stuff going on. I've got my own life to live. Have you considered the possibility that in this moment, in this season that you're in, that the purpose of your life isn't really about your life at all. It might be about accomplishing God's will in someone else's life. You know, you don't have to be specially trained uh, to be a midwife in God's kingdom. All you gotta be able to do is just boil the water, 
Just be there to support and encourage them and help them and, and just say yes to God. I, I love the message translation of these words of the Apostle Paul. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Friends, how awesome is that? You don't have to be the main character in the story. Sometimes all it is is being there to support someone else and you just do what God's calling you to do. That's, that's all Joseph did. Think about this. Because Joseph said yes to God and did what he was supposed to do, Joseph's hands were the first hands to touch Jesus. What a reward. Um, God in the flesh. Because Joseph entrusted himself to God's hands. Yeah, God entrusted himself into Joseph's hands. Blessings follow obedience, even those little steps of obedience that we take. As I think about Joseph, it, it just makes me feel really hopeful because we don't know anything about his background. There's nothing that really stands out about this guy. He, he's an ordinary guy. There's nothing written about his super spirituality. He's not a religious leader. He hasn't been to seminary. He's an ordinary worker, a trades worker that God chose to do extraordinary things through because he was a good man who lived according to God's word. But then on the other hand, Joseph really is extraordinary. We, we don't read that he had extraordinary wealth uh, or su extraordinary success or extraordinary leadership skills, but, he, but what he does have is an extraordinary ability to obey God. And a lot of lives changed because of that. History changed because of that. You and I are here today because of that. Joseph might just be my favorite person in the Christmas story because he gives me hope as I live today that all I have to do is be obedient to Jesus in, in some simple ways and all of a sudden my life is having huge impact on the people around me and maybe for generations to come. And hey, Joseph must have been some extraordinary father because after all, he raised a pretty good kid, didn't he? Let's pray about this. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the example of Joseph. Just an ordinary guy in the background that just simply obeyed and in the process changed history. God, would you encourage, help, and empower each one of us to, to take those simple steps of obedience, even when it doesn't make sense, even when things look impossible. God, even now, speak my heart and Speak to each of our hearts about something you are asking us to obey. Right now, just, just listen to them. What is God asking of you right now? I hear you, Lord, and I say yes. And I pray that we'll all experience your blessing, that life to the full that comes from obediently following you, doing what you ask us to do. We pray this for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.